The sprawl is crowdfunded by Albertans who value independent local journalism. We rely on our listeners and readers to support us. We don't have ads, but we need your support to tell stories like this one. Consider becoming a Sprawl member today. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the founder and editor of The Sprawl. And Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CJSW 90.9 FM. We are broadcasting slash podcasting from Calgary in Treaty 7 territory. Sprawlcast is a show for Albertans who want more than the daily news grind. We go deep to bring you stories you won't hear anywhere else. For the last couple weeks, The Sprawl has been covering the Black Lives Matter protests as part of our racism edition. I was at Olympic Plaza on June 6th to cover a vigil there, and as I was leaving that night, I thought to myself, okay, next week I need to change gears and do another Green Line story. But as I thought more about it, I realized, isn't that kind of thinking exactly part of the problem? Looking at the Black Lives Matter vigil at Olympic Plaza as a so-called race story, and the story across the street as a so-called city hall story, treating them as two separate spheres. Let's pause there and unpack that a bit. City council is predominantly white, as are the leaders in city administration. Most of the journalists who cover city hall are white, including myself. In Calgary, our civic sphere is largely designed by and for white people, and that manifests itself in the way our city is built, who shows up at City Hall for public hearings, and who is part of, quote-unquote, the conversation. Right now in our country, racial inequity and white supremacy are being challenged everywhere, in workplaces, in social structures, and yes, in local politics and urbanism too. The black Canadian writer and urbanist Jay Pitter recently put out a call for Canadian urbanists to address anti-black racism head-on. She wrote an open letter, a call to courage, she calls it, that asks urbanists to consider how urban design is not neutral, it either perpetuates or reduces social inequities. She writes, The public realm and built environment are not simply a backdrop to the current civil unrest. Urbanism has contributed to the racial inequities inciting it. One of the missing pieces right now is race-based data that helps us see where social and racial inequities are occurring in our cities. This was brought up at that Black Lives Matter vigil at Olympic Plaza on June 6th. The point was made that if we as a society truly want to deal with systemic and institutional racism, we need the information to fight that racism. Information is power. Having race-based data will give us the information to prove what we already know. Can all of us please say, race-based data? Race-based data! Race-based data! Race-based data! That was Semhar Abraha. She's the vice president academic at the University of Calgary's Students' Union. 
In Canada, we lack race-based data in most areas, including urban transportation. The city doesn't collect or have race-based data on who uses public transit. And I asked Abraha about this. Racialized groups, you know, working class, middle class are the ones who are taking transit all, all the time. They don't have an option, like most people who are taking tra transit, until now, they don't have an op option of having a car, for example, they can't afford to have a car, you know, or might, they might be in the UK and they don't have a license to drive as well, you know, and those specialized groups, like they live in, in the community. So I will come up again to raise based data, like it's because it's everything is in there, you know, if you know who, who we're serving, we will know how we're serving them better. So with race based data, you can always see which neighborhood is under served by in infrastructure. I've brought up before how climate action has almost been tacked on as an afterthought when it comes to the Green Line and other transit projects. It's really downplayed. But another important factor is often sidelined on big projects like this. Equity. In other words, getting transit to the people who need it most, economically and socially. Now, City Council is kind of going every which way on the Green Line, as you probably heard. And we'll get to that in a bit. But first, we're going to hear from one of the city councillors who hasn't really been scrapping it out in the media, but supports the Green Line for some of the reasons that we've been talking about here. Councillor George Chahal has given more thought to equity than many on city council. His background is in real estate and urban planning, and 15 years ago, he did his master's thesis on planning for ethnic diversity. In 2017, he was elected to represent Ward 5 in the city's northeast. I asked Councillor Chahal about the Green Line in light of the protests we've been seeing on city streets. I think there are important connections when we think about um, some of the systemic issues we have in our society and opportunity for everyone in our cities to participate. And, you know, I think public transit can really help uh, break down many barriers for many folks who have uh, challenges with affordability to get, to commute across the city to uh, go to work. We've seen during this pandemic, a lot of folks who are using public transit is their only means of transportation to get to a hospital, uh, to work at a grocery store. And, and I think it's extremely important that we ensure that as we build our city, that we think the value of public infrastructure and investment of public dollars that benefit um, as many Calgarians as possible. And I think this project helps do that. It brings more equity to underserved communities of transit riders uh, in the south, but you know, also in central north Calgary, uh, who's been waiting for years for improvements to public transit. I mean, I can tell you the investment in public transit in up into my ward is where very well appreciated amongst the residents that live there. We have a tremendous amount of public transit usage from feeder buses to LRT and um, their livelihoods, they depend on it. I mean, as you see, for instance, the blue line, the trains are full in the morning, um, but they're also full in the evening coming into the downtown because a lot of those folks who work in those service industries in the downtown core rely on public transit. They're the ones who clean those office buildings, the folks who work in those coffee shops and restaurants and bars rely on public transit. On June 1st, City Council's Green Line Committee held a public hearing. They heard from a lot of people, 
and we'll hear more of those voices. But one of the groups they heard from was the group led by retired oil man Jim Gray. They're pushing for the Green Line to be cut so that it doesn't go north of downtown, and the north would be served solely by Bus Rapid Transit, or BRT, instead of LRT. Let's listen in to what his group had to say on June 1st. We're going to hear from retired structural engineer Barry Lester, followed by former Canadian Senator and Alberta MLA Ron Gitter, and then Jim Gray. Council might ask why tunnels are so expensive and why am I so opposed? The answer is one word, risk. Downtown Calgary sits on a heterogeneous mix of bedrock, gravel, silt, and sand. And most of it is well below the water table, the level of the Bow River. It is one of the most of the worst environments in which to dig a large excavation of any kind. I suggest that what is realistic is to provide enhanced bus service north of Center Street now. What is realistic is to build the southern portion of the line and go beyond Shepherd to the hospital and Seton where the people are. What is realistic is to scrap the folly of crossing the bow, shattering Center Street and dividing the community. The important thing is the need to stop the current city plan. It would be the height of irresponsibility to build two stub lines, one to the north, one to the south, for $4.9 billion and leave it to future councils with a crushing burden to secure the funds to complete this project. There's been a lot of public scrutiny of Gray and his group, raising the question of who holds power at City Hall, and who does city council truly serve? Some city councillors have also criticized Gray's group. For example, on May 29th, Councillor Evan Woolley wrote the following on Twitter. We must not gut this city shaping project due to opposition from a small special interest group. Now, at public hearings, city councillors have the chance to ask questions of members of the public who make a presentation. And on the night of June 1st, after Gray made his presentation, the Black Lives Matter movement was brought into council chambers in a way that no one expected. Keep in mind that earlier that day, there was a massive Black Lives Matter rally in the Civic Plaza at City Hall. Here's what Councillor Jeff Davison said to Jim Gray that night. I did want to say, Mr. Gray, thank you, and uh, wanted to apologize to you uh, for all the nasty things people have been saying about you in the media and on social media. I want to let you know that at a time when uh, we are currently in this city standing up for freedom of speech for all, uh, the human rights violations that are happening, I find it completely hypocritical that some of my colleagues would say things in social media and in the media that reflect your character while they stand to say, but I stand for human rights. So I'm appalled by some of the actions and the comments by some of my council colleagues, and I wanted to just let you know, I do not feel that way. We may agree on some things, we may disagree on some things, but I want to know we respect you and thank you for your time spent on this file. Well, I appreciate that. that. Somebody gave somebody gave me a very good uh, uh, analog today, and they said, uh, if you're carrying the football, you got to be prepared to be tackled. Davison immediately got flack on Twitter for conflating criticism of Gray 
and the oppression of black people. Shortly after, Davison rose on a point of privilege and denied that this is what he'd done. Yes, uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, I did want to uh, uh, just clarify, uh, if I might, on a point of privilege, some comments that I think might be misinterpreted uh, regarding my comments around Jim Gray. Uh, my point is that we should be able to disagree without Trump-like personal attacks. And I did not compare those cheap shots to the plight of members of our black community who face unconscionable discrimination every day. So I hope that is not being misinterpreted, but wanted to make that clarification statement. Thank you, Chair. The next morning, Councillor Davison walked that back and apologized. But before we go anywhere, um, Councillor Davison would like to rise on a point of privilege. Uh, Yeah, thank you very much, Chair. Um, uh, Council, I want to apologize uh, for the commentary that took place last night. Looking back at uh, at the conversation last night, it was certainly a mistake to conflate the important discussion uh, we're having as a community about human rights with the comments made about uh, certain community members. Um, these are entirely separate issues, and the question of discrimination is of far greater importance. I want to let you know that I share the revulsion and horror that all of us feel at the treatment and death of George Floyd at the hands of a police officer. And I know this unconscionable discrimination is not isolated. It is widespread, and it needs to be addressed. And Calgary is not immune to racism. I hear what you're saying, and I am with you. And I feel extremely badly about what I said last night, and I am sorry. I hope that you will all give me the chance to show that I am serious about working with all members of our community to make this place one of opportunity and fairness for all. I'm not perfect. But I can assure you I'm listening, and I will be a better ally. Thank you, Chair. I asked Semhar Abraha about this and played her Davison's comments. She was one of the black Calgarians who rallied outside of City Hall that day. She said Davison's comments show how City Council needs more diverse representation, which would help hold other councillors accountable for their words and actions. Most people are short-sighted. They see things that that time. If there is not anyone, any member who is from the Black community or from racialized group, that person won't feel get, get the confidence to give such comments, you know. Because you know that there is someone else, like someone in the council who will hold him accountable. With this person, he literally like thought like he's not, he's not, no one is going to be hold him accountable. That's why he, he, he said what he said. And with the movement itself, like the first day he denied it. And then afterwards he apologized for it because he, he felt that he will be accountable. That's why he's apologizing, you know, but I feel like it's the movement itself. I don't want it to be like something people be aware of it for a while and then forget about it and go back to their old way of doing things you know it all comes to, to the idea of like having awareness of who is living in the city you know and who you're representing and this ties in with who feels welcome and who doesn't at city hall a city hall public hearing is ostensibly open to every member of the public but for many racialized calgarians there are a lot of barriers including the question of whether or not their voices are truly heard and valued. We rarely receive any credit for the work we do. Our opinions are just not not valid. So that's why we keep getting barriers in participating in those uh, in, in making like being part of the council, for example, you know. And for the, for the ones that they are new Canadians and they have limited 
English, uh, there's always an issue with the language and the way they, the, the structure, the, the council and all the politics around it, the way it's formulated, the structure itself is very hard for them to understand and access to, you know. And it's it's just so strange to me when I when I think about it because Calgary is the third diversity in, in Canada, and not having enough representation is a really big issue. I reached out to Councillor Davison for this story, but was told by his assistant that he was unavailable for an interview. We're going to listen in now to more of the public hearing on June 1st. Much of the contention is around the north part of the project, the part running from downtown to 16th Avenue. The plan is to run the train down Center Street and then have it jog west and cross over Prince's Island on a new bridge. City Transportation GM Michael Thompson explained why city admin went with that choice instead of running the train all the way down Center Street into downtown. We had uh, previously looked at uh, running the LRT across Center Street Bridge, um, and we found there were a number of challenges with it. Um, We've looked at it again in the fall and winter, um, just at a high level. Uh, What we believe we would need to do um, would to be uh, build a new pedestrian bridge beside the Center Street Bridge, um, widen out um, the lanes on the Center Street Bridge because the LRVs are um, take a wider um, footprint than the vehicle lanes do. And so to carry two lanes of traffic and two lanes of um, LRT across that bridge would require significant reconstruction on the bridge. Here's Barbara Mendaglio and Josie Ho with a group called the Waterfront Green Line Owners Group. They object specifically to the bridge that's going to cross over Prince's Island Park if this is approved. We have collected a total of 790 signatures, both in writing and online. The majority of the respondents' concerns pertain to the impact on the park. Based on our limited face-to-face interaction with park users, it seemed that many were incredulous, if not outraged, by the idea of a train running through the park. Other concerns included quality of life, safety, and noise, but these were not as emphatic as preserving the park. Let's reassess segment two and consider stopping with the station at the Eau Claire Market site and not cut through Princess Island Park, thus saving the cost allocated to this part of the alignment. The North will be well served by the BRT. Now we'll hear from Jane Ebern, Ann Levy, and Celia Lee. Lee is the Executive Director of Sustainable Calgary. A small, special interest group of wealthy Calgarians, dare I say armchair quarterbacks, is trying to delay the proposed Green Line project at the last minute. They think they can pull together better alternatives in one month than our city experts and consultants can do in the past few years. I strongly question this. For example, their proposal to just use bus rapid transit across the Centre Street Bridge for the Northern Connection totally neglects this portion of the city. North Central Calgarians have been promised an LRT connection for years, and it is time to deliver on this. I've lived in Calgary over 30 years, and I've been using transit in Calgary for over 30 years. So when I first moved to Calgary, it was described to me as a collection of suburbs in search of a city. And that was true. But over the last 30 years, I have seen Calgary become increasingly cosmopolitan, and a lot of that has had to do with public transit. Through public transit, I've been able to access various parts of the city, but I still live in a very small city because the public transit simply hasn't kept up 
with the growth of the city. Still, I have appreciated very much what I've experienced, and I want to urge the necessity for that kind of privilege to be something that everyone in this city has. It shouldn't just be the prerogative of people like me who happen to have the good fortune to live in the areas of the city that are already connected. So I want to urge that we do not take the risk of delaying on the construction of the Green Line, that we do not risk continuing to delay social justice and equity, that we do not risk continuing to delay the creation of a bigger, better, and more connected Calgary community. I just wanted to support this investment in transit for the city of Calgary, um, just from the perspective of equity, health, and climate. Um, And I think those are three challenges, even crises we're facing right now all at the same time. Um, And investing in a great transit system is something that offers a solution to all of those issues all at the same time. So, for example, we know that people who live near LRT stations walk and bike more for their daily trips um, and have measurable health benefits. Um, We know people who take transit have measurable health benefits from walking to and from transit. We know we're facing more economic hardship now than we were before. Um, And so we know that now is the time we need to support our people and developing affordable transit options that work um, is one of the best ways we can do that as a city. And then finally, the the city's own report on climate shows that without further action by 2050, um, our greenhouse gas emissions will be 300% higher than our target of 80% reduction. And so investing in a sound transit system, and, and from my perspective, that includes LRT, Investing it, it's sort of, for me, the low-hanging fruit when it comes to climate action. Calgarians um, have the second number of kilometres driven per capita in Canadian cities after Edmonton. So it's definitely something that we can work on. Um, It's also something we can work on without sort of dealing with the complexities of how to diversify our economy. Now let's listen in to some of the council debate that happened on June 2nd. Council has been going every which way on this file. Some support the LRT plan, others want the north part cut out, and still others want it to go to a plebiscite. Here's Councillor Giancarlo Carra. There is, you know, no big move in the history of any city anywhere that hasn't been contested and hasn't involved some kind of stretch or risk or uncertainty about the future. But that's our job, and you know what, the the Green Line is part of of a package of big moves that we're making, and and I'm saddened to see that the collaborative approach to establishing that large strategy is is, is fracturing at at this late and critical juncture in the game. Councillors Ward Sutherland, Jeff Davison, and Diane Colley-Urquhart are echoing the calls of Jim Gray's group to scale down the project. They put out a news release earlier this month raising what they called red flags about costs including financing costs of $640 million that they said they just learned about. They framed this as a surprise number that was sprung on them at the last minute by city admin, but in fact, those costs have been on the books for years publicly. And some of these councillors even voted to approve them. Here's Councillor Sutherland, followed by Councillor Jeremy Farkas. You know, I've heard that our job is to get every mile, but my question would be, you know, at what cost? I'd suggest having less kilometers, 
and getting it right is a better direction for everybody. Uh, In terms of debates, I won't uh, be supporting this recommendation. I believe that the green line at this time poses an unacceptable risk to our city's future and credit rating. I'm still very concerned that uh, so much about this project, particularly the finances, remain a secret from Calgarians. Uh, I don't feel that it's responsible to proceed with a plan that is this risky, uh, will cost a fortune, and potentially not uh, improve transit service, at least to the level that Calgarians are expecting. Down the road, another council will have to come up with much more money, many more billions, in order to make this work. We should not be rushing into this and forcing it uh, into a constrained budget. Now we'll hear Councillor Drew Farrell, followed by Councillor Evan Woolley. I will be supporting it. We've been working on this for almost a decade, fighting for, um, first we started out by fighting each other, um, north or south. Frankly, we wouldn't be talking about the Green Line if it hadn't been for Councillor Keating uh, lobbying other orders of government for that funding. And so we came to a compromise and we talked about how we need to start the train. We started the hardest part first. It's a generational decision. And once that's done, the rest will be so much easier. If this council kills this generational decision, we'll have to live with this probably for the rest of our lives. I don't think it would be, it would be constructed in my lifetime. And that's really what this is about. This is a project, not for me, but for that next generation. I really think about where uh, all of the rest of our trains go in the city, whether it's the blue line or the red line, and that past councils built the tough parts of those that made it really, really easy for the following councils to build upon. And I know many people on council, and I haven't had the benefit, but many people on council today have been able to cut ribbons on the hard work uh, that previous councils had had supported, and that is getting the train through the downtown of Calgary. And so this is the really, really tough work. The tough piece of this is getting it through downtown, and that is complex, and it's riddled with, with risks and challenges. But that's why we've hired this team and experts from around the world to bring forward, Councillor Sutherland, the business case that you demanded and so to change that work on the fly in the, la- in the 11th hour of this decision isn't doing our due diligence. Here's Councillor Shane Keating, who has been Council's biggest champion of the Green Line. He's been trying to get everyone on Council to work together on this, which has proven to be pretty much an impossible job. What I envision of this Green Line, uh, I don't see this as a one-shot deal. We're going to build this and then we're done for 20 or 30 years. What I see is actually the the beginning of construction, and we're going to see construction on transit for 20 to 30 years on all the lines, red, blue, and green. It will continue because as we go forward, uh, I would assume that many people, not myself, many other people in council at the time will be out there doing the same thing we did to try and make sure that we have more funding to start the next section or the next station before this construction is finished. We'll hear now from Councillor Jyoti Gondik, who represents Ward 3 in North Central Calgary. This is from an interview she did with News Talk 770 on June 9th. I mean, if you look at where the max BRT routes went, I am shocked 
that there was no max in north central calgary as a mode progression given that we knew green line stage one wasn't going to serve that population so there's been all kinds of misses i'm not sure why um i don't know how you just forget about an entire part of the city so what i'm looking for on monday is an absolute commitment from this council saying the north is next we will start the planning and here's some seed money i'm going to give the last word to councillor george chahal I asked him what he thinks is missing from the conversation on this project. Well, I think we don't talk enough about the people, the people who rely on it and use it. Um, you know, we, we are so grateful to all our essential service workers, uh, many of those who rely on public transit. I think the people are extremely important. The equity piece, I think, is a, a huge part of this conversation to tackle those issues that we have. And, you know, the accessibility for Calgarians today and for the future is a, a massive city building project. But I'll come back to and say, you know, as we grow as a city and we invest, public dollars need to be for public benefit. And this is, yes, it is a massive project, but it does br- bring benefit and equity to Calgarians. And I think that's a big part of, part of the project that I think we need to have more conversation about that. You know, that's the important part of why we build public transit, to connect people to places and opportunity. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. You've been listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the founder and editor of The Sprawl, and this episode was co-produced and edited by Mike Todd. Hadil Abdelnabi also helped out with the research for this episode. Hadil is our staff writer intern for the summer, and you can find her stories on our website, sprawlcalgary.com, including her latest story on the case for defunding Calgary Police. You can also find a transcript of this episode on our website. We use Opal Transcription Services. They're a local Calgary-based company. The Sprawl team is myself, assistant editor Jimena Gonzalez, comics artist Sam Hester, and art director Chris Pecora. Our theme music is by Dan D. Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. crowdfunded by Albertans who value independent local journalism. We rely on our listeners and readers to support us. We don't have ads, but we need your support to tell stories like this one. Consider becoming a Sprawl member today. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com.